So glad to see you this morning. We know that that several are ill in the church. That plus Memorial Day holiday. But so glad y'all have chosen to be here. That you're able to be here. <clears throat> and that you've chosen to be here. Uh, I do want to begin by thanking you for innumerable prayers, uh, emails, texts, comments, uh, all well-wishing. We appreciate it. We really do. We really appreciate it. Uh, just ask you to continue to pray for my Jean. She's not doing well this morning. She hasn't been for a couple of three days or whatever. Uh, she wouldn't be excited for me to tell you this, so don't tell her I told you. <laughs> if she listens to the uh, recording, then when she does, I'll be hiding. So if, so if I come in, yeah, if, if I come in next week with a bruise or two, you know, <laughs> she had some adverse comments to, to what I said. You know, I want to do this. And, and I do want to get to the class this morning. I, I would like to do that. A couple of things. On June 12th, next, this Sunday and next Sunday, by God's grace, we will talk about verses 1 through 3 in John chapter 3. Remember, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Remember that? That's where we are. But on the 12th, I've talked to Pete about it, and it looks like it's clear. We're going to have a fellowship breakfast for all of those who are members of the class. And you may want to bring in a friend who hasn't been in the class. Yeah, I just felt the Lord leading to say, you know, we're talking about in this little section being children of God, the family fellowship. And that would be a wonderful opportunity just to share the reality. So on that morning, all we're going to do is come in. You're going to grab something to eat. We're going to just sit around however he has the tables configured. I don't know how he'll do that. And then it'll start about the same time. And then after about 20 minutes or so of eating, we're just going to allow you to come up to the microphone and to share any thoughts that you may have concerning what God has been doing and saying during these days to you. How the Holy Spirit has been ministering to you. Okay? And so that's, that'll be June 12th. Um, if there's a change in that, I'll let you know. But basically, that's where we are in that. So... Be ready to invite your friends. Some haven't been here for maybe a very long time for whatever reason. We understand people are not able to get here. And for those of you who are out in the television land, as I call it, uh, uh, maybe we'll mail you a breakfast or something like that. I, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> we'll do the best we can. Or just go to Burger King and, and eat, eat a breakfast while you're looking at all of us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, after I was out, I don't know, a month or whatever it was with this leg and so on, uh, I made sure that I thanked the Missios family. 
uh, and I still very much appreciate their participation with us in this ministry. But I didn't thank Gene. Uh, I have to say that without my wife's very careful and constant attendance to me, especially for the first two and a half, maybe three weeks, I probably would have died, starved to death or whatever. Uh, she watched over me. She cared. She uh, made decisions for me that, you know, these things happen and sometimes my mind gets short-circuited. I'm not thinking clearly. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. I should do that and so on. And uh, She told me what I could and could not do. <laughs> A couple of times I tried to disobey and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, you may think, Gene is so demure and quiet. <laughs> My wife can be heard and understood as she wants to be. <laughs> so I really did, do want to publicly appreciate my girl. Uh, she is in the natural, literally, and I mean this, the very best gift God has ever given to me. She really is. Amen. She really is. She really is. And I've told her, you know, she'll be 79 in September and I'll be 79 in October. We ain't spring chickens anymore. We're sprung ducks or something like that. <laughs> and I've said this publicly, although people said, Ooh, and I said, my wife isn't the pretty young girl that she was when we married when she was 24 years old. Now, if you expected her to be like that, you're very mistaken. But I'll say this, and it's so very, very true. She's, to me, more beautiful today than she ever was, even as a bride. She is more beautiful to me than then. Hair color, wrinkles, skin moving around. <laughs> You know, Ronnie just woke up on that one, huh? What happened? Somebody say something? Everybody know Ronnie Boyd over there? He's a good looking guy with the curly blonde hair. Uh, today, she's more beautiful to me. She really is. Because I tell her this. She doesn't like the wrinkles and so on. And as I said, don't tell her I said this. But in my mind, God is carving on the face of my wife the character of Jesus. Amen. He is carving on the face of my wife. He is forming in the physical features of my wife a woman who is a true servant of the Lord Jesus. He is. So I will just make a personal comment of prejudice here. Especially ladies. Let God 
have his natural way in you as you age. Don't try to cover it over, pack it up, move it around, or do something. Let us see the handiwork of this incredible creator as he will bring each one of us through the years of our lives to be a living architectural rendering, if you would, of something of the person and character of Christ. Amen? Just wanted to share that with you. So thank you for, for bearing with me. Say it again. Somebody said something. What? Oh, elders are beautiful. <laughs> if, in case somebody's wondering, who was that? That's Cody back there. That's Cody. Last week, well, sorry, last lesson a couple of weeks ago, you remember we started with this incredible verse, and I'm hoping that at least the first verse is yours by memory. John has been encouraging the church, because remember, a lot of what they have believed has been attacked and undercut through bad doctrine, through false teaching. You know, what you've been taught is not the truth. This and that is the truth. So they're needing to be encouraged. They, need, they are needing to be um, instructed, corrected. All that is necessary. And so in the process of doing that, he's literally in the process of doing it. We get to the end of chapter 2, and really, chapter 2 continues the thought, and Nick will be picking this up in a few weeks, in chapter 3, verse 4. That's where the thought continues. But John is moving along, and he's ready to start talking about, you know, don't keep on sinning and so on, and Nick will talk about that. But before he does, all of a sudden, and maybe this has happened to you. The Holy Spirit arrests him, stops him. And it hits him like a ton of bricks. He already knows this. But it hits him in a fresh, deeper, and a more consuming way. And I can just see him... Sitting there or standing there, he may be dictating this letter. That's what they typically did. And all of a sudden, he says, oh. he looks back and he thinks about what he has said. The Holy Spirit brings back what he has been saying, all of this. See what love the Father has bestowed upon us, on us. On us. Are you part of the us? Pat, are you part of the us? See what love the Father has bestowed upon us. What? That we should be called the children of God. And what? And so we are. I want you to remember this verse. And on regular occasions, recall it and allow the Holy Spirit to overwhelm you with it. So you remember a couple of weeks ago, I had, what, four pages of notes, and I just felt 
to speak extemporaneously, hopefully being led by the Holy Spirit. And hopefully it was meaningful to you and ministering to you. If you didn't listen to, what was it, two weeks ago? Was that what it was? Then you'll listen and kind of catch up maybe with some of the thoughts I felt the Holy Spirit wanted to share with us. So this morning, what kind of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, this is a set of 11 verses that we should all know about. The Apostle Paul, in the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, begins the Ephesian letter. Remember, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Remember that? And then it continues, just as he chose us, when? Before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless before him. And then he says something similar to what John says. He says, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons unto himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in verse 6, he ends with, to the praise of his grace in the beloved. And what Paul has done here by the Spirit has shown us the inseparable, unified, comprehensive activity of the entire Trinity in our salvation. We forget that, don't we? If we're not careful, we think, well, Jesus saves us. Are we saved by the blood of Jesus? Did Jesus save us? Yeah. Does God the Father save us? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit save us? Which one is more involved? The three-legged stool, remember? All three are equally, simultaneously involved in every aspect of everything that happens in the creation. Can you say amen? We don't think Trinitarian. We must think Trinitarian. There's nothing at all ever will be, ever has been, etc., that has happened or will happen outside of all three members of the Trinity being equally, comprehensively, completely involved in every aspect. God is one in his being, but three in his persons. And so in this set of verses, in verses 3 to 6, we see the Father's ministry. Everything is, if you would, initiated by the will of God. It doesn't mean that Jesus' will is different. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has a different will. It just means the way God is in himself. He is, if you would, the source of our salvation. He is the one who has willed it. And the Son wills it also within the will of the Father. And so the Father wills our salvation, but then the Son purchases our salvation. In verses 7 to 12, we see the ministry of the Son of God in purchasing our salvation at the cross. 
And then finally, we see the activity of the Holy Spirit in applying that purchase according to the eternal will of the Father in verses 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit applies the Father's will as accomplished by the Son at the cross and in the resurrection and the ascension. And then the Holy Spirit brings all that to bear in us. Amen? That's the activity of the Trinity. If any one of those three are not involved, if any one of those three are not involved in our salvation, would we be saved? No. In fact, it's better than that. If any one of the three is not fully, completely, and comprehensively, continually involved in every single aspect of our salvation, there wouldn't even be a creation. Remember, God created us to be his saved people. And had that not happened, he would not have created us. Because that which he has begun, he will complete. Remember in Philippians 1, 6. And so the very reason we are here is proof that God's purpose in the beginning before Genesis 1, 1 was to have a people in whom his glory is manifestly displayed to all creation in the glory of his risen son in whom we are the body. So if it weren't for any part of any person or any activity or anything of any of the persons of the Trinity being involved in our salvation, we wouldn't even been, be sitting here because I know you've heard me say this before. Well, if Jesus hadn't died, we would have. There's no such thing. If Jesus hadn't died, there wouldn't be anything except God. Now, so Paul t- tells us in verse 4, as I said, God chose us before the foundation world. Now, what does that mean? This means this, that our salvation, that you today are sitting here today. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to continue to say it. Listen carefully to me. Don't jump ahead of my words. You and I, weans, usins, we are not saved because we made a decision for Christ. We are not saved because we asked Jesus to save us. You didn't get saved that way. We are not saved because of anything that we had to preemptively, you know what I mean by that, preemptively? Kind of get the thing kick-started, Gail. God has sent his son. And he offers salvation to everyone. So if you will decide to put your faith in Jesus, he will save you. That's not good theology. Because it puts the burden and the decision for our salvation, for the accomplishment of the eternal purpose and will of God, where? In my hands, according to my decision. You say, oh, my word. Then what are you saying? We were saved because of the preemptive initiative 
of God's elective will before the foundation of the world. That in his own mind and purpose, each one of us were already in his mind and according to his purpose. Each one of us was his child. You were in the heart and mind of God as a son of God before you were ever conceived. And you didn't get here today as a child of God because you said, did, or thought something. You were here today as a child of God because God's thought, said, and did something. To which then Nathan replied, yes, by faith. Amen? Faith says this. God gave it to you. God worked it in you. God produced it in you. God brought it forth in you. And yours was, yes. Can you say amen? Yes. Yes. Now, there's a lot more to say. I know they call upon the name of the Lord, but there's a context in that. So we would have to understand that. Everybody know Patrick Fuller. This is Patrick Fuller walking in here nowadays, everybody. Hello, Mr. Fuller. Good to have you here today. Yes, everybody may say good morning, Patrick. All right. Next week, Patrick says, I ain't getting that class late no more. No way. Say, that man's crazy. That's the old school teacher. Try to sneak in on my class. Do we get this? If there's anything I want to disabuse us of is this. That we are responsible for being in Christ. God the Father. God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, is totally, completely, unilaterally responsible for initiating us, willing it, initiating it, producing it, bringing it about, fulfilling it, the whole thing. Amen? And we are brought about in that as God gives us the grace, faith, gift Ephesians 2, 8, 9, to respond to this work of saving us, to respond by saying, yes. Some say, well, God doesn't force anybody to be saved. We believe that, don't we, Annie? So here's my question. First of all, how many of you are saved? Okay, put your hand down. How many of you didn't want to be saved but said yes to Jesus anyway? You did it reluctantly. You know, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be saved. But okay, Jesus, okay. How many? God made you say yes to Jesus. Made you. I'm talking about actually had to change you against what you wanted to do. I'm not talking about the old way, but when you was transformed. No. You said yes. Why? Because you what? Wanted to. Right, Patrick? You said yes to Jesus because something in your heart said what? I got to do it. 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 I have to do it. I have to do it. He puts the wanting in me. He puts the wanting in you. That's why we're here in Christ. So. When were we saved? Ah. 
There are two or three different answers to that. We were saved literally, ultimately, in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Right? Jan was in Christ before the foundation of the world. When were we saved? We were saved when Jesus in John 19.30 says, It is finished where the work of redemption was completed. We were saved then. We were saved when Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and has been crowned and exalted, King of kings and Lord of lords. We were saved then. We were saved when the Holy Spirit was sent into our hearts. Do you see how it works? That's how it works. It's one magnificent work of God to which the apostle says, What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? That God would seek us out. As I said last time, in the muck and mire of life. And literally, Jesus would become physically bearing the muck and mire of our Sin, not literally a sinner, but bearing all the responsibility and taking to himself all the guilt of our condemnation and degradation so that we could be here today. So what Paul does here in Ephesians at the end of verse 4 and beginning of verse 5, he says this. First of all, God chose us. So how did he choose us? In love, he predestined us to be uh, to adoption. So he used that word adoption. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Adoption. When Paul uses the word adoption, he's drawing upon the Roman legal practice. Adoption in those days was a Roman legal practice. And of course, Paul is writing to Gentile churches. And so he's going to explain how did we become the children of God And he says, I'm going to use the word adoption, the practice of adoption, where a man, the head of a family, makes a decision on his own for his own purpose, according to his own will. No one's making him do this. He's doing it because he wants to. And he sees someone. He sees a child or another grown person, doesn't matter the age. And he makes a decision. I want that person to become my child. And the process of making that happen and legal and literal, literal, it becomes legal and literal is called adoption. So what happens? Why did we have to be adopted? When we're born into the world, you remember, we were born into Adam's family. Everybody knows about that. And so in Adam's family, there is no escape. There is no escape from Adam's family. And in order to escape, if you would, or be freed out of Adam's family, we have to be transferred 
by someone who is greater than Satan, who is the god of this world, who now governs all the members of Adam's family. Someone has to be who is greater than this Satan has to come in and has to reach into Adam's family and take each one of us out. So what does Colossians 1.13 say? I don't know if it's in your notes. What? God has done what? Transferred us from the domain or rule of Satan into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been transferred. We've been taken out. That transfer is called adoption. So what I want to do today in in the last few moments is this. I just had several thoughts to talk about adoption. And this is basically some of the results or benefits to us of our having been adopted. Now, I want you to put yourself in each one of these. First of all, we have become the beloved of God with all the rights and privileges of full-fledged sons in the Father's house. We had no rights at all. Absolutely no rights. In fact, not only no rights, God was our enemy. But in adopting us, God has brought us who had no rights into his family. Not only into his family as stepchildren, no. But God has brought us into his family as full-fledged children. As if we had never been at any other time one of his children. We are now, the moment we are adopted, we become a child of God and we have all we, and we, it, we enjoy full-fledged sonship immediately, fully, and forever. Amen? We don't grow into the benefits of our adoption. This is given to us. You are now a son in the family. We have become co-heirs with Christ of all the father's estate. When a man adopted another fellow, another person, another boy or girl, man or woman, that person immediately becomes co-heir with the other children in the family of all the estate of the father. Everything now that belongs to Christ also belongs to us. We have equal standing with all the children of God. Now, that's easy to say. But how many of you have ever had questions about how equal you are with other believers? Come on, come on. How many have thought, I don't get treated as well as somebody else? Come on, come on. I'm talking about from God. Sometimes we think, Maybe God has left us out. Maybe God isn't treating us as well as so-and-so and so-and-so. Is that possible? Is it possible? No. That God can't treat any one of us essentially differently except as a full-fledged child. It's the only way he can treat us. We have equal standing. All of the debt of our sin has been canceled. 
Remember Colossians 2.13? Having forgiven us all. Colossians 2.13. 1 John 1, 7 at the end of it. The blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Don't stumble over this. The next time you sin, it's not a matter of forgiveness. The next time we sin, it's not a matter of forgiveness. Because if it is, Mary, then God hasn't done what he said he will do, and he's a liar. Right? We struggle with this, many. It's not a matter of our forgiveness and what we need to do. And I've heard this so many times from others. When you sin, you must repent. Well, should you repent when you sin? Well, certainly you should. But I've heard it said this way. In order for God to forgive you, you must repent. We don't repent as believers in order to be forgiven. We are now able to repent because we are already forgiven. Repentance is a restoration and a maintenance and a continuance of fellowship, not of our relationship as sons and daughters. Amen. That's what repentance is all about. Now, before we're saved, it's a different matter. But we're talking about those who have been adopted into the family of God. We have been given the gift of God's spirit. Remember what Romans 5, 5 says? For the love of God has been what? Poured out upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All of Satan's authority over us has been completely and forever severed. Do you believe that? Satan no longer can make you make me sin. He cannot make us sin. We have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then under any and every circumstance, when we are tempted to sin, no matter what the sin is, no matter what it is, we have the ability to say no to the temptation. Amen? We have the ability to say, Satan, you cannot make me sin, and I will not think that, do that, go there, feel that. Amen? So why are we overcome with sin? Why so often does sin defeat us? Because we let it. Whose fault is it when I sin? My wife's? Hmm? Whose fault is it? 100% mine. Satan no longer has, though, any legal rights over us. He no longer has that. We are no longer slaves of Satan, but sin has made us free, sons of God. We're freed from all of that. We need to remember that the next time something goes on in my life, in your life. I don't have to think this anymore. Yeah, but Sue, I have I, my background and everything. I've been raised like this, and I've had so many years of this and that and the other thing. I understand that. But then there is a place in Christ where you say, no more. No more. 
I won't let these thoughts, these feelings cross the threshold of my decisions. Amen? Not going to let it happen. We're no longer subject to the wrath of God, but we have been given the gift of eternal life. Remember Romans 6.23. We have full, unfettered access to the very presence of God our Father. Did you notice I skipped the word? At the end of verse 4 in Ephesians Three, the apostle says, in love, God predestined us to adoption as sons unto himself through Jesus Christ. That word predestined, that word that so many struggle over. So God chose us when? Before the foundation of the world. So we've been predestined. What is Romans 8, 29? We have been predestined to become, well, I skipped myself. Let me say it this way. We predestined. Romans 8, 29. Yeah. For those whom he knew, he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, what does foreknow mean? Some would teach it this way. What that means is from eternity, God saw each one of us. Now, did he see each one of us? Right? From eternity, God knew every thought that it would ever cross our minds. Is that true? From eternity, God saw every deed that we would. Is that true? Yes. God saw, Joe, that you would express faith in Christ. Right? He knew that. So what some teach is this. Foreknowledge means that God, foreseeing that Isaac would places faith in Christ saved you. Is that accurate? No. He did see it. But was the seeing of it the reason for it? Oh, did he just see what he was doing when it happened? You see, he was looking at seeing the results of his eternal will coming about in your life and in my life. He saw that. But he did not predicate our salvation on the basis, well, God saw that you would be saved, that you would say yes to Jesus, therefore he saved you. That is not right. The word for knowledge is not just a knowledge of stuff. Mostly it is a relational term, remember? We talked about that. Do I have 1 Peter 1, 20 down there in your notes? What does it say? That God foreknew whom? Is it written out for you? Yes, God foreknew Jesus. What does that mean? God knew Jesus before Jesus was born into the world. Before the Son of God became the man Jesus, God knew him. It is a relational term. God knew us in Christ, and as a result of knowing us in Christ, therefore, he saved us and gave us the gift of faith. So, what about predestination? Predestination is God's means of guaranteeing 
that his eternal purpose for us will be fulfilled. I want you to see predestination, predetermined before the foundation of the world. What? Predetermined that we should be what? Saved. And how does he do it? In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. What is God's means of predestining us unto salvation? The incarnation of the Son of God is God's guarantee that what he has designed for us from the very beginning will come about. Now, how much of a guarantee is that? How much of a guarantee is it that in the very life and death of the Son of God is the guarantee that God's will for us before the foundation of the world will be carried out? Aren't you glad that this is the basis of our salvation and not what you and I decided to do or not to do? We're in Christ because of God's decision. See, God has guaranteed the success of his eternal will in the incarnation of his son. So when the next time you hear the word predestined, a predestination, it is a predetermination before time that what God has determined to do, he will do it. And the means through which he accomplishes this eternal elective will is the very birth, life, death, resurrection, exaltation of his son. That's what predestination means. So for that, I can say, thank God I've been predestined. God has done everything necessary to save us and to keep us saved until the very end. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to go through these three verses and just talk about what John says in particular about these three verses. And then on June 12th, as I said, we're going to enjoy a fellowship breakfast together. Amen. So thank you so much for your prayers. Continue to pray for my gene. Thank you.